0: Hi, uh, I'm Brian uh, from Lost Relic Industries, and we create Swords and Shaman of Songard. Um So, uh, yeah, I'm a designer for tabletop RPGs. Welcome to the Breakfast Club.
1: Hello, good
2: morning. fuck a doodle do and all that nonsense. Uh, I am Pex, the Tavern Custodian. I help out and run the Discord server for Tinker's Tavern. I also work for Frog God Games as of earlier this month, Um, basically doing social media there and inventorying all kinds of nonsense and giving uh, Bill, Zach, and the boys crazy ideas to run with. And that's my spiel.
3: I'm Andy, and I work at Fossa Games, and I'm happy to be here. Good morning, everyone.
4: Uh, good morning, everyone. I'm Ed from Shades of Vengeance. Uh, I am the creator of the Era games and uh, the comics and card games that Shades of Vengeance creates.
5: And I'm Andrew from FASA Games. I'm line developer for 1879, uh, the steampunk game that is the sequel to Earth Dawn. Welcome everyone.
1: I'm going to put our
2: topics in chat here. And if you see one that really jumps out at you, anybody just go ahead and uh, mention it and we'll start talking about it. I'm excited about these topics.
5: Ooh, power of building a social media presence for your RPG company. I would have said necessity rather than power.
2: I would power because <laughs> it is powerful.
5: It is. Um, one of the things that I've found is that you can't just build a social media presence for your company. You have to build it for your people. Uh, you know, you're you're not selling the game. You're selling yourself as as the producer of the game. If you if all you do is uh, toss ads for your game into social media, people will block you for being a spammer.
2: Right. And it's really interesting. Uh, People have general questions, like things you wouldn't think that you would ask a company. And it's that engagement. And like you said, that personal connection with the person behind the product, that really makes social media uh, grow. Um, Because that also breeds loyalty. Um, and they'll come back to you over and over again if you engage them and engage them properly.
4: Yeah, I was gonna say i I don't particularly use social media for advertising very much at this point. Um, what I primarily use it for is actually to keep the community that that plays uh era games um, able to you know give them a forum to ask questions and reach out to myself, my team. Uh, the people who know the things uh sort of the specifics of the games, and uh I use it to sort of maintain the community, help people get in touch with each other for playing games and such
2: right, I think the big three right now, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, is Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'm just gonna mention the demographics of those um. Instagram is obviously the younger crowd. That's probably your teenagers to your mid twenties, mid-twenties to mid thirties, it's gonna be Twitter, and anything higher than that's gonna be Facebook in a general. Some people have all three, there is spillover. But I find those demographics interesting and um, so it's like a generational thing
4: as well. I, I find that quite I find the comment quite interesting because I'm in my early thirties and I can't stand Twitter. It drives me absolutely nuts. <laughs>
5: Yeah, I'm 56, and I avoid Twitter like the plague. On the other hand, I spend a lot of time on Mastodon. Um, I'm over on the Fediverse a lot. I, I run a Friendica instance, uh, rpgtable.top, and um, I'm on um, tabletop.social on Mastodon and engaging with a lot of people there. I also spend a lot of time over on MeWe, uh, the, a bunch of the, the G plus refugees ended up on MeWe uh, rather than trudging over, back over to Facebook. There's also a lot of Discord servers. There's a G plus refugee Discord. Facet has its own Discord. Tenkars Tavern is here with how many thousands of people on? You know, it's, it's a matter of where your audience is. There's so right. much social media that, that we have to actually divide and conquer. Andy generally handles Twitter and Facebook, and I deal with uh, Mastodon and uh, MeWe and such.
3: Well, because there's so much, and and I highly appreciate the fact that you help out a lot with that. Like, I will be honest, I did not care for Mastodon, but I really actually do like MeWe, but by the time you have Facebook and Twitter and there's a discord channel and so much and you're trying to hit different markets and keep people informed and interested in your products because and i think it was andrew who, who mentioned the you're not selling a game book because there's 400 plus game books coming out a month you're selling you you're selling your company you're selling your your people you're selling yourselves and it's very hard to create that that personal feeling and bond if you have one person who's spending all day jumping back and forth between eight different ones. And I know that there are certain things that can help like Buffer will allow you to post on like Facebook and Twitter at the same time and schedule to a certain degree, right? But it won't let you do MeWe and it won't let you do Mastodon or Discord. TweetDeck will let you look at your own Twitter and like the companies and even schedule again but then it doesn't float over to any of the other venues and so when you start trying to make like those those connections that that interaction it's it's there's just so much to it and so many different you know like okay you'll see that andrew and i are both over here on 10 cars tavern we try to be here when we can and i think andrew's better at it in general but why are we here instead of only being on the Fossa one? Well, we're here because the audience is here. And if that's where the audience is, you kind of need to go there. So now you have not just your discord, you have 10 cars discord and somebody else's and you know, making those connections and not just growing your fan base, but growing your connections in the industry to help find people for projects.
2: Right, and speaking yes. of myself here, um, so I've joined everybody's Discord here in Tinkers that has one. I can't keep up with it all. Uh, I have certain ones prioritized. Mm-hmm. Like some of them let me advertise stuff in their servers, so I give them a little bit higher priority because um, they can advertise over here. We, we just offer that at Tinkers, uh, as you all know. Um, also, webhooks is a thing where you can auto-do information in your dis- in your personal Discord and in your channels. So they give you guys admin rights to your channels which will pull the information to the channel directly via bot. However, the downside is it's not easy. It requires a certain amount of coding knowledge, sadly. But that is a thing. Um, I think the tools are getting better, but they don't solve the problem as a whole because, like Andy was saying, with the new social media is just happening next week. It just keeps getting more and more and more. Technology can't really keep up.
3: Well, and I just there are ways
5: to deal with it. I'm sorry.
3: I was gonna say I just recently learned of a couple of programs like if that then this, but the problem that I can see with those is again it's it only seems to work amongst like the top three. So like if I post on Twitter, then it posts on Facebook, and so there are programs that do this. Like I don't know that it's code. I think it's not quite like that, but. Like, literally, there's one that's called if like IFF or something, IFTF. IFT, and there's
5: you also had to, I'm sorry.
3: Well, I was going to say, but they still only work with the top three. And then how do you go to and deal with Discord and MeWe and Mastodon and all the others?
5: Go ahead. Oh, well, with Mastodon, uh, you have to remember that it's part of the Fediverse. Um, you have to think about uh, what federates with what and how the messages propagate. So if I put something on Mastodon, it's also going to propagate over to Frendica instances and over to Diaspora instances and to Pleroma and so on and so forth. Uh, you can g- get a lot more bang for your buck if you hit the right instance that is federating out to all these other platforms. And, and it, the instant that federation will take care of sending your message on so you don't have to.
2: And going outside of the gaming bubble, um, other companies, they hire people or a team of people to do social media full time. That's their job all day long. Um, either coming up with new ideas, marketing strategies, or um, just figuring out a way to fix or grow their social media in general. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. It is work, quote unquote, it work being the key word.
5: And it's a matter of developing the personality. I mean, you look at Wendy's, um, whoever, whatever team is running their Twitter account is a bunch of freaking geniuses it's
2: hilarious. Um,
5: that they're, yeah, they've, they've created a sort of cult of personality around their brand because people are following their brand to see what sort of burn they'll let loose next.
3: And then that's so interesting and cool and such a fine line though. And cause you had this whole worry of, did I go too far with it? Can I go too far? Do I need to be careful about how far and also, you know, how do you keep people? Cause again, Andrew mentioned the, you can't just put my product, my product, my product. So mm-hmm. what do you do to go outside of my product, my product? And then how far do you go outside? Like I once posted something about a movie. One of the bigger comic book movies that was coming out, and literally, some person was like, "Well, that has nothing to do with gaming." Yeah, but almost every gamer I met, I that I personally know, likes comic books and comic book movies. So why wouldn't There's I want also- to try to tap into that?
5: Let me see if I can find this article. Uh, does anybody here read Tech Dirt? Do you even know what Tech Dirt is? Negative, Ghost Rider. Okay, Tech Dirt is a website of snarky news and information about the tech tech industry. Uh, It's where you find out about a lot of the breaking stuff before it hits the mainstream news, where, so a lot of stuff where the, some of the dirty laundry gets exposed. They have a weekly WTF uh, where they'll put up a dialogue box going, who let, the, who, who let this get into production? I mean, seriously. Uh, they did a series looking at how you generate a value in the modern day and in the era of social media and part of what they did, um, they they boiled it down to, to, to a simple equation: connect with fans plus reason to buy equals profit. Fans then delves into um, what you sort of value you can actually
1: add. Hang on a second. I have a comment.
5: I Oh. jeez! Oh, in the middle of all that. Well,
2: Andrew's digging that out. Um, uh, I found a lot of things like events and stuff. Uh, our fans, at least at Frogs, love that kind of stuff. Like, they like knowing what conventions we're going to and talking about those kind of things because that's their quote unquote, the time they get to meet us, uh, the clubhouse becomes a tangible thing at that point. It's not just digital anymore. And they get to meet people. So I think things that fans can be involved in directly, uh, that's also a key in the social media game.
3: I think so too. I, it crosses it over to the role thing. And it also brings back that point of you're not selling your book, you're selling yourselves. Um selling techniques that used to be called something called a soft sell. You don't push buy the thing, buy the thing, buy the thing. You hang out with them as a person. You treat them as, as your new buddy, kind of. And so like if you're selling furniture, you can try to push, 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 or you can just hang out. The longer someone's at your store, the longer someone's at your booth at a convention, the more likely they are to buy. If they feel like they know you, they're more likely to buy your product. And that sounds cold and calculated, but it's also true. people are more likely to buy if they feel like they're connected to you, the project, the team somehow. And if you can cross that over from the digital format to a actual live, I'm a human, you can meet me, you can shake my hand, hell, I'll go out and have a beer with you, whatever. That's even better.
0: Well, I think that's, that's encouraging because, um, <clears throat> from, you know, from, our perspective at Lost Relic, you know, we're not uh FASA or anything. Um we're not that well. And well-known. at
3: FASA we say we're not Paiso <laughs> no. or anything. Yeah. So it's all good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well um yeah, we're just not that that well known. And so uh one of the things it's and 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 we're kind of shy, you know, I mean just being a hundred percent honest. And so um you know, my wife and I, you know, we're just going out here and trying to produce something. But the thing is, is that uh, because we love this, because we enjoy it, uh, we go out and we play the games. Right. And so I don't it, it's I think it's not a disingenuous thing to go out and connect with people because it's something you love. It's not like I'm over here selling something I don't care about. Um, so, yeah, when we're going to the conventions, um you know, and, and we sit down and talk to people, that's pretty genuine. You know, I mean, we actually want to be there. We want to be doing all that. And I know that's what most of us want to be doing. So I, I think we've got that going for us uh, in terms of, you know, just uh, in an industry in general, we can connect with people um, because this isn't something that you just do because you think you're going to go off and, and you know, get really rich or, you know, whatever. <laughs>
1: what?
3: Okay. okay. Number one, they can always tell if you're genuine or not, which is very, very, very important. If you are genuinely not involved or interested in trying to be involved with the fandom, then that should never be your social media type people. Like they can tell. And two,
1: okay, yeah,
3: absolutely, it counts and it matters to a lot of people. And none of us are making buckets of money. That's not what the industry is about. Nobody gets into this for the buckets of money. It doesn't happen.
5: All right. And uh, I, I, I'm going to butt in here. Um, I don't know how much of what I was saying you got before my computer failed on me.
2: We got it all before you started, like, swearing at your computer.
5: Oh, really? Amazing. Uh, I thought I'd gone, like, robotic and all because my hard drive is running and my system's not responding, and usually that kills my whole, you know, voice connection. Uh, I'm going to find this link on Tech Dirt. It talks about the different types of value and one of the uh, types of value you can provide that people will actually pay for is your time. Uh, you look at, uh, look at Amanda Palmer. She, mo- she monetized Twitter and people would actually pay to spend time hanging out with her. Uh, Teter gets a little more into it and does some analysis on it i i'm I'm gonna find this article, but yeah, the social media engagement essentially you're providing your time and your engagement, and somebody else was talking about engaging with the fans, and that being a, a really critical thing. Um, you know you're 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 providing that. As basically f- uh, for free, and that you know that first hit is always free, and that gets people looking into your stuff. let me f- let me find this link. Uh, all right, sorry, I just I really wanted to make sure that that got out there, and that <laughs> my stupid laptop didn't eat the whole thing.
2: Sure, and while you're digging that up there, uh, Andy mentioned the soft cells, so where the hell does the hard cell go? Well, I'll tell you banner ads on your personal website, not in the social media area. And then also your newsletter because the goal of the social media is to drive people to where you're selling. And then that's the place where ads are expected, at least in my opinion.
3: And say, I would sort of kind of disagree, but not totally. It is perfectly okay to use your social media to say, Hey, our new products out. You can go get it here. The trick is, sure. is that it can't be every freaking day it can't be every other day. Like, I think somebody did a ratio once that, like, it can't be more than, like, either one in three or one in four days. Like, it has to be very sparsely sprinkled in. Because it goes back in, like, what Andrew said and things like that. Um, And other people have said this. If you do it every day, buy my thing, buy my thing, buy my thing, they will just mute you, ignore you, turn you off, unfollow, whatever the hell. It, it, the hard sell. Honestly, I don't know that there's a good hard sell in gaming, anyhow. The best you can do is I have a thing. Would you like my thing? Please to buy my thing.
2: Here's my thing for
5: X amount off.
3: Right. A, you can do here's that. A
5: preview of my thing. Want to know more? Go here.
3: Yeah. Hand um, out free
5: samples. Buy a
0: thing, get a thing free. This is, this is starting to sound like a little X rated.
3: Yes.
1: <laughs> that
3: helps. Like it.
2: Andrew, you don't like
3: our
0: thing? Hey.
2: I mean,
3: hey, this is kind of like the whole Wendy's thing and being snarky. Now we're sounding X rated. That sells yes. better. So it's all good.
0: Not, not my thing.
3: Huh? Oh, wait. It could be your thing. Maybe. You know, maybe. Know. You got to sound a little more interested in your thing.
1: <laughs>
5: Possibly <laughs> unduly so. Here it is, 10 Good Reasons to Buy. Access, attention, authenticity, exclusivity, new creation, tangibility, time-saving or making, convenience, belonging, and patronage. And I'm going to put this up here in the channel.
3: I found that one thing. It's called IFTTT, and it helps your apps and devices work together. I don't. I haven't used it. I just learned about this the other day, but it's another one that works with um, mostly your big ones. I think it's uh, Gmail, Facebook, Instagram, maybe Pinterest. I don't even know that that one works with Twitter, but it might. But yeah, it's another and one of these programs.
5: Playing. Plex right. is playing the Segway music.
3: It wants to pick our next topic. Since you're forcing the segue, sir, I think it's your turn to pick a topic. Ha ha.
2: Fine. Uh, what topics are off limit at your table or considered to risk a pedophilia?
4: Can I, can I raise at this moment that in fact, there is a, uh, a typing error in that, in that particular question. Thank you.
3: Yeah. The other two is two O's, but that happens. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah.
3: I can't, I can't spell or type, so shush it, shush it.
4: uh, Wait, 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 you can't spell or type, but you're in charge of social media.
3: Oh yeah, I know. It's a whole thing. That's
4: fantastic. I love it.
3: Yeah, I cannot spell or type. It's, it's terribly fun.
2: There you go, Andy, I got your back. I corrected it. So so this
3: is how it
5: happens. So yeah, uh, generally, you know, explicit sex period. Uh, the, uh. In in a couple of my ongoing campaigns, characters have had relationships, and we use the old nineteen forties movie technique: um, pan to the window, uh, or fade to black, and we'll pick up uh, the next morning. We're you know we will just assume that these things happened and move on. You know it's not you know we're not here to write a penthouse letter. We are here to. Uh, explore the the consequences of these two getting together.
2: I'll throw myself out there. I've done the non-fade to black, but the majority of the time, it is fade to black, like you're saying. It just depends on the comfortability of the table. However, Mm. things that are uncomfortable to me are things like pedophilia or anything I have to do, like children fuckery kind of thing. I'm just not into that. I don't like it. It bothers me.
5: It's it's morally wrong. Um, There's a lack of consent, and Yeah, things, there are some topics that that I won't go near. Um, This this is really a a bit of a political bomb, uh, a bit of a grenade thrown into the conversation, this topic is, because, you know, I could bring up uh, current American politics.
4: Yeah, I I was about to say, actually, one of the things that I avoid, thankfully, nearly all the worlds that I play in are not the real world. Um, is real world politics. Right. I, I mean, if if you're gonna have some kind of allegory, then you have an allegory, but you keep it different enough, or I do anyway, when I run a game. But yeah, I try to avoid real world politics because I want my table to be a welcoming area. I mean, the things you were saying are the, the pedophilia, the 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 vivid sexual content. Um equally if you're going to make your table a welcoming place, and that is the only way that your table can survive, frankly, then everyone around the table needs to be okay with what it is that's going on, or equally equally upset with what it is that's going on, depending on exactly uh, the position. And the problem with bringing real-world politics into it is of course not everyone has the same political affiliations that's fine, and that's got to be fine, or you're going to lose a player or two.
5: Now, cool. I would uh, consider equally unokay to be a bit of a problem. Um, I do put an X card on the table. Uh, if somebody plays the X card, there's that's not questionable. You know, we'll we'll deal with uh, with any discussion of it after the session. But if somebody X cards a a topic or a situation, we move on. Yeah, absolutely. And and we will talk about it later.
4: Yeah, it's, uh, again, as I say, it needs to be a safe place for anyone to play. And different Mm -hmm. people have problems with different things. And why it's a problem and going into why it's a problem is pretty much distressing and embarrassing for absolutely everybody.
5: Yeah, you, you don't do not do that at the table. Do it uh, after the session and in private if necessary.
3: So I do a beginning before game. I think call it what, session zero these days. And mm-hmm. I flat out go, so what's off limits? And because I will say right now, um, especially in World of Darkness, oh there are a lot of things that come up, not necessarily because the players, but because bad guys do things.
1: Mm-hmm and And so topics
3: that even that i personally find squicky and i may not go into detail may be assigned to some bad monster demon vampire whatever right and so we have a session zero and i'm like okay tell me what's off the table you don't have to explain why you could just find it squicky i don't care but i need to know what's off the table before i start because depending on the game or the system things can get very dark very quickly so. I think, so. thankfully, I don't know that we've ever, like, actual world politics have never played into any of it. And I don't know if it's just simply because everything, even World of Darkness, is fantasy setting to a degree. And we just never did it. But yeah.
1: Yeah.
5: In my case, uh, real world politics do get involved to some extent, but they're all 19th century. So we've got that lovely 150 years of separation. Yeah, that helps.
3: I don't know about that. The Brits are still mad about that whole thing.
5: <laughs>
3: just saying, <laughs> I'm teasing. There's I'm a lot teasing.
5: Of Ameri- oh, please! There's a lot of Americans uh, still mad about what happened in the 1860s, but you know that's another I know. thing. Move on. Actually,
2: at the I, I, end I recall- of the day, we can all laugh at Canada. I'm just saying. Uh,
4: yes, I, 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 exactly. I, actually, <laughs> I recall a, a time when my family went to America, and my mother made some sort of comment to the guy who was showing us around some. You know, some battle site and he just turned around and said, Who won? <laughs> My mother was kind of speechless. Oh. It was quite funny. Oh wow
3: <laughs> Oh gosh, that hurts. But yeah, I mean at any point that something gets brought up and a player's like, you know, time out that's out perfectly fine. I have no problems with that. But I do try to at the beginning say, Okay, what's off limits? Because if they don't tell me it's off limits, again i may not go into detail but we've had games that have gotten fairly sexually explicit i've had games that have gone into rape they've had monsters that were even into doing bad things to children a lot of it's implied and not because right. it's quicky, right. and i don't even really like it as a topic but you know you want the bad guys to be really horrid and gross and nasty and you push the boundary sometimes with the story
0: i think yeah would-
5: with uh, i'm sorry
0: Oh Well, I, I think you can have a topic, you know, this is sort of goes back to what Andrew was saying about, um, you know, exploring, you know, how, how deep do you get involved in sexual, you know, activity or something in the game, and you can have a topic, and then just sort of, you know, have it there and present and part of the story without, you know, dwelling on it too much, because I think that's sort of what makes people uncomfortable, you know, it, it's like, go into a movie with your mom and then there's like a sex scene or something, it's somebody's going to get uncomfortable. You know, <laughs> it's, um, it, it's just uh, not, uh, you know, like, like you said, you can have the bad guys doing these bad things. Um, so in that regard, uh, when I'm playing with, uh, you know, people that I know that are pretty close, most of the time there's not a lot of things that are off the table, but there's things that will gloss over just for the sake of, uh, keeping keeping it relevant to the story and keeping uh the game itself moving and not detracting with something that's gonna make somebody uncomfortable. Um we do generally I mean always avoid politics. Um that's just you know it it's just you know good uh good manners I think it's not a you know thing one way or another. I just think it's because you and you'll end up sounding yeah one way or another you'll end up sounding preachy if one of the the bad guys or good guys is on one you know political spectrum or another you'll sound preachy or you'll sound you know and it's just not you're going to put somebody off um and and it's not right um the other thing that i i think of a lot is you know uh you you try to read the table so like if i'm going to a convention Man, stuff like, uh, I, take, I take things like drug content, you know, and say, okay, well, we're not going to address, you know, drugs or things of that nature because I might have a 13-year-old or somebody else who's, um, you know, it, it, that I don't know a lot about that may not be comfortable um, dealing with those kinds of things. So I try to make sure that my scenarios ahead of time don't contain uh, any content like that.
3: Well, conventions are kind of different, in my opinion. Conventions are a whole other thing. Like what I do at a normal table, a continuous, you know, group table is different than what I do at a convention table. And I will say I appreciate a lot of conventions now having things where you can market, you know, nobody under 13 or nobody under 18. Because sometimes you have a great story and it's a good game, but... It really sure. is an 18 plus. And I really do appreciate that a lot of cons are going to a way to know. I mean, like Cards Against Humanity, which isn't a tabletop RPG, but I literally was at a con once and they were letting, they had it out in the open room. So there's 12, 13 year olds in the room while, you know, I have cards that say, you know, bigger, Very blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Horrible things. And it's not to even go into some of the things I've had tables chant and things like that and horrible stories I could tell. But there's, why would you have Cards Against Humanity in an open game room? Why? Either don't allow that type of content or have an area where that content is more acceptable. You know, but I do appreciate con games now, a lot of cons separating that type of thing out so that I did a bubblegum crisis story freak ever ago. It was the first time I had done a con table and it's wholly centered around a drug the boomers had created that was juicing them up, but killing humans. Uh Would I want that nowadays in this cultural climate that we have with a 13 year old at the table? I don't know.
0: Yeah, the gaming is is really become very multi-generational now and so you don't necessarily know. I've had uh kids under 10, you know, walk into yes. a table that I yeah. was running. And and when you're in an environment where you don't know and that's a possibility, I definitely like I, I used that um that situation and it worked out really well because I was running a fake game and my Fate game was based in the Expanse universe. And what I did was set them as uh, belters uh, trying to get their aging, um, you know, their aging rockhopper uh, to this big score. And so it was, it was danger, but it was players against the environment. And so, you know, it, I was able to make it very PG rated, um, but it was very fun.
3: I ran. I oh,
5: go
3: ahead, Andrew.
5: I do a similar thing with a lot of with my convention uh, scenarios. They're very carefully written so that they're they're playable in an all ages environment. Um, the one I did last year, Turbines to Speed, was a uh, you're you're trying to flush out a spy in a uh, mixed in a military civilian research camp out in the middle of nowhere. And so it's it's an investigative procedural. Uh, there were a few things turned up, uh, but uh, it was all very much you know PG uh, rated stuff that uh, I wouldn't you know, that you wouldn't mind a ten year old uh, being involved in
2: well I got a couple things here on the convention side of things I think we've gotten better as a whole because either we have after midnight kids must go away or like sign ups at the individual tables themselves of 18 plus 21 plus etc cetera, etc cetera, because we also have like drinking at some tables that is a thing um, some people like to drink and play nothing wrong with that it's whatever floats your boat um, my second thing though is um, on the on the topic here uh, we have publishers and creators in the industry that target that specific audience um same for like a movie store or bookstore there's different genres and different things and there are audiences that like to engage in that uh, as their regular gameplay versus our pg-13 r-rated general gameplay for lack of a better we'll call them the smut publishers, I guess, for lack of a better... I've heard that term thrown around a lot. I'm not sure there's a correct term for it. But the more X-rated content, I would say. And I killed chat.
1: Yes. <laughs> I,
3: I have nothing wrong with adult games being sent out to adults. I I think the the weirdest one I've had at a table was... I did Demon World, which we have as a miniature game right now, but they've been working in the background to make it into an RPG. And the entire point of it is, is that basically you're in a world that's being bombarded with demons. Demons. It's like Demon World, right? This guy comes over and he's got two kids. One's like, I don't know, eight or nine, and the other's tenish. Oh. <laughs> and I'm just sitting here going, um... Let me explain, kind of, what the world setting is, and he, the, the guy was fine with it. He's like, "That's cool." And I'm like, "I may play down some of the squickier details," and he's like, "Okay, but they're fine with it." And I'm like, "Okay, cool. I mean, I guess you're the dad, so all right. The kids did fine. I did bring the details down a bit of what I would have done otherwise. They they did great." It's you know, more I think comfortable it, than the
2: kids. I was, <laughs> and the
3: thing is, is, is that I I know people whose kids watch horror movies and everything else, and they're they would be fine, like, but it made me uncomfortable because I was like, oh gosh.
5: Yeah, you got to to some extent go with the parental guidance. If the parent says, "Hey, I'm you know I'm cool with my kid doing this," they're the parent. They
4: get to make that decision. Um, kind of. I, I'm going to completely disagree with you there, Andrew, and the reason I'm going to completely disagree with you there is Andy, or whoever the GM is, is also a player at the table. Right? I Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not talking X-Card territory per se, but if you're not comfortable with running a game because of the essence of what the game is about with the audience that you have, you have just as much of a right to say... Uh, i don't think i can do this i'm sorry
1: right and you should I don't not have to really sit there disagree-
4: for an hour or a four hour you know I, and I, session and and yeah, I'm however s- long your session is i'm gonna yeah, split I don't think the you're difference really
5: disagreeing i don't think you're really disagreeing with me so much as just pointing out a different aspect of it
4: well I, you you were saying it was you kind of you have to go with what the parent says is okay yeah uh, okay fair enough that's true it's also true that, you know, you can be as a GM, you can be like, I'm not comfortable running this with eight or nine year olds. Also it's valid. not cool, even if you say sure. it's fine. I'm not so, okay. Also,
3: for me, also valid. for me, yes, I was maybe a little more uncomfortable and I toned it down, but I'm okay with that. I will sure. say at the same time, I have ran gaming areas for conventions, including once I had split, this is an 18 plus area. This is a open area, right? And I've had parents get mad because, well, I said, it's okay. And I looked at them and I said, and I said, it's not, and it's not, and it's not going to happen.
4: Yeah. And, because and, what sorry, you're saying,
3: <clears throat> and in, 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 it actually brings up what you're saying, which is not just that the parent says it's okay in that perspective, but I have a bunch of other people who may not want to yell cards against humanity things with your 12 year old in the room.
1: Yeah. So
3: it, but it is, it's kind of a fine line. I mean, if we're talking about a table, let's four or five people, and if everybody's like, well, okay, we'll, we'll tone it down. Or, you know, it's the dad and the two kids and that's who showed up and they're good with it. And I am okay with toning it down. Cool. I, I totally believe that Andrew, you know, like, okay, we're going to go do this, but there is the other side, which is the, I'm not making possibly the entire room uncomfortable because you said it's okay for your 12 year old to play cards against humanity. So there's, there's a, a spectrum of things to take in and play for that type of thing
4: yeah all all i really meant was not that specific instance obviously i don't know enough about it but um i I really this is just reaching out to any gm out there because i've experienced this you know i've experienced i really don't want to run this game that i have with kids you know it's it's not it's not great Um, okay
3: andrew mentioned his you could play an x card the gm can play an x card too
4: yeah Exactly. If the
3: players start doing something that makes the GM squicky, the player, you know, the GM gets to go, "Uh uh-uh, we're cut stating that. No.
4: Yep.
5: Yeah, that that X card and whatever other safety tools you have on the table are for everybody at the table, uh, including the GM.
4: Absolutely. Also,
3: and we do have to move on, but in a con type of thing, they may say they're the parent, but you actually don't know.
2: It can be the glorified babysitter of the day.
3: Right. And then you find out later that the parent disagreed with, because Uncle Joe took him over, right? Like, Damn it, oh Uncle boy. Joe. But that type of thing can happen, so it is a thing. It so is. What so else, what else we have on the list?
5: Uh, growing RPG universes through other media.
4: Actually, I was going to suggest we, we rock on to GMing at conventions, tip, tr- tips, tricks, and experiences, because we kind of already leapt into that to a degree. Natural segue. Yeah. yeah. Okay, go for it. Lead off. Me? Bloody hell. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you uh, picked it. I-, I asked for it. Right. Um, GMing <laughs> at conventions. So uh, I I have a tendency to GM quite a lot of games whenever I end up GMing at a convention. Um I recently did, well, not so recently now, 3 months ago. Um I recently did a convention um and I gamed uh 12 out of 14 play slots. Um uh over the Wednesday to the Sunday. And um I find that you know um at no point did I do the same sh- session twice, although some of these sessions I've done at other conventions. But I find that um Preparing the right amount is always something that's very interesting because you don't know I mean particularly at a convention you don't know if this group is going to get caught up on bullet point number one of twenty um, so what I do um, in order to uh, in order to sort of address that problem is I arrange uh sort of three versions of the same session i arrange kind of a uh we didn't get very fast session because we got distracted at you know near the start i have a kind of a i'm expecting the session to be about this and i've got a and here's what happens when they flash through absolutely everything at 100 miles an hour and and you're like uh what happened what where's yeah oops um so, sort of, I've I've always got a plan B. Uh, my GMing style—I think I spoke about this last time I was on the um, last I was on the the breakfast show—tends um, to be that I go by a complete immersion in the world because I created most of the worlds IGMing, so that helps a lot. Um, but you know, I I it, it, I find it very easy to throw certain new roadblocks in the way. Uh, when I when I prepare a session, I'll tend to actually prepare it as a sequence of roadblocks um, that the players have to find a way around rather than necessarily uh, requiring a set number of things to be achieved in order for the narrative to continue. There you are, I'm done talking. Someone else say something. chops a pen.
5: Voice <laughs> training and voice... Uh, take care of your voice. Uh, really seriously. Mm. Uh, keep a uh, bag of Ricolas or or something. Um, to, you've got to take care of your throat. If you're uh, doing gymming at conventions, pace yourself, uh, stay hydrated, especially during the session. Don't let your mouth dry out while you're yeah,
4: GMing. Definitely rec- remember that so, sorry, just on the hydrated option, uh, uh, comment, uh, def- remember that whenever you talk, you are dehydrating your mouth, right? Yes. Get water, have water, drink water, mm-hmm. don't drink things that dehydrate you.
5: Yeah, easy on the caffeine, because caffeine, first off, it's a diuretic, and second, uh, will cause you some problems. Alcohol is also a problem. Um, be very cautious of it. Dairy products can be a problem. Uh, I've got a background in the SCA as a Herald. I've been uh, one of the loud people at SCA events for for many, many, many years. And, um, yeah, I will bring a cold brew to the table uh, on on a regular basis and just violate my own advice. But uh, I also have a Nalgene full of water, that, and I make sure that uh, I'm hitting them equally. Don't get louder than you have to save your voice.
4: Save your voice for the moments when you have to be loud because you're bound to have a moment.
5: Absolutely. Uh, as far as what, um, as, as preparation goes, um, I go in with a fully written scenario, uh, with, with basically a module already written out all the NPCs in place, all the, uh, Uh, everything already in place but then understand that no battle plan has ever survived contact with the enemy and that the players will go herring off in a direction that you did not anticipate no matter how many times you have run this scenario the players will find a direction to go herring off in that you did not anticipate And so I rely very heavily on my ability to improv and we'll just run, run with it and work on getting them back on course and gently kind of steering them around. And, and if they're having fun with what they're doing, why are you messing with it? Just let it roll, you know?
4: Yeah, I was yes. going to say, um, uh you know, if if they go herring off in, in a direction that you didn't expect, um, you know that that's that's where you can end up in problems with a with a fully written module, um, you know, uh, but, but if they're having fun outside it. Yeah, yeah, let them let them do it, let them have their fun, let them go off and do that weird and random thing and become the cult of the face stealers. Long story, ask me sometime. Um. Yeah. It's fine. I
5: ended up I ended up going back and uh, after the la- after last Gen Con, um I ended up going back and rewriting the investigative scenes in Turbines to Speed because a couple of the player groups thought of checking for stuff that I hadn't thought about before the, uh, the- before the convention. Yeah. And I'm like, "Okay, probably ought to cover this because it actually gets interesting and could lead them directly to who the spy is if they think to do this thing. So, okay, let's, let's, let's write that in.
0: So I, uh, yeah, I run the, the adventure, uh, before, beforehand, uh, with play mm-hmm. testers or with friends. And that one gives me an idea of, you know, how long it might take. Uh, but two, uh yeah, it gives me ideas like that. Like I'll see because they're always gonna do something. And that generally gives me more content to just sort of tuck away in the folder. Um so I've got an extra ace up my sleeve, you know, if if the uh uh you know if the characters don't follow one hook, uh they may follow another. Um, um so that's always a good thing. Uh my uh the the other thing is is I think uh ed like you i tend to um be very uh descriptive of you know here's the setting and and i tend to find my players sort of immersed in that and it's funny because uh i'll see you know i can run a game with very few encounters sometimes and it will take players uh, a great amount of time to get through the content but they're having fun Um, So that's a great victory, but then at the end, you know, you're 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 wondering, you know, hey, are they going to get to the end? But so I worry about that. Um, But you know, sometimes sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't find a conclusion, and you know, we're done at the table. Um, And
4: that's not necessarily a bad thing,
0: right? Uh, And I'm
4: speaking with my cynical game developer hat on, like you guys were earlier about social media. It's not necessarily a bad thing because. You know, the, the, the thing is, okay, look, we're at the end of the four hours, and I'm really glad you had a good time. You want to keep going? Here's how. Yes, but no. right.
3: OK. And so I will say right now, there is a difference between I'm running a game at a con because I decided that that's what I wanted to do today and running a game where you are showcasing or running a game at a con where you are showcasing a game or a system, and how you approach those is actually very different. If I'm running a game because I wanna run a game, then I just do whatever I feel like my story is and that's what I'm doing. If I'm running a game where I'm showcasing, um, Andrew and I were talking before the show and I told him I hadn't gotten around to writing up my Gen Con origin scenario stuff yet. And he was waggling his finger. And I never used to do write-ups when I just did con games. As a person who's just running something, I'm gonna go run something, we're gonna have fun, I'm gonna improv half of it because I'm gonna go where the crazies go. I meant players, right? But when you're showcasing stuff, one of the first things that you sit down and go is, what is it about the system I want to showcase? So for, like, 1879, part of what I want to showcase is some of the not physical combat. I want to showcase social combat. I want to showcase investigation. So how am I putting those into the game so that I showcase this outside of traditional I-kick-in-the-door combat?
1: I...
4: no, I I,
3: I would say that, sorry, that when you want, you want to kind of have at least somewhat of a conclusion, which is one of the big points either way, which is watching the time and making sure the pacing is set well, because I personally feel that if they don't have some sort of conclusion, they're less likely to be interested in buying the game because they don't feel completed.
4: So I, I've got to.
3: So, yes, go ahead.
4: Sorry, I've got a comment on the first half of that, Um, because my my question would be, if you've got to do that when you're showcasing a game, why do you have to do that if that's a core part of the game that you need to showcase and show how unique it is, if it's not going to be part of your scenario anyway, pretty much no matter what you do?
3: I, th- I think it's, you, I, maybe I, I said it wrong. It's not that it's not part of it, not, it's not normal. It's in how you are presenting it and how you are f- working it into pacing. Because I think that there is a kind of a natural pacing that you're, when you're squeezing a story into a three, four hour segment and you're never going to see these people again, which is what con games are for the most part. A con game is, is here are these people who I have never met before, and I'm never going to see after probably three to four hours. Right? Sure. And I want them to get the best possible glimpses of my universe, my world.
4: Sure, but equally should that not happen pretty much, uh, assuming that your your world contains these things that you you know, that, that you want to showcase, and that if they are a core of the gameplay, in in my mind, that should happen pretty much no matter what they do, because no matter what they do, uh, let's use the social combat example, Um, you know, no matter what they do, they're not going to run around with guns and shoot things straight away. They will get okay. engaged in social combat pretty much no matter what, right?
3: For example, for example, you say they aren't just going to go around with guns and shoot things anyhow. I was running through one of my scenarios with a group of friends to kind of get a feel for how my pacing went. And mm-hmm. like the very, it's not technically the first thing. It's the first thing after that, the opening high. Yeah. This is kind of the gist of what we're doing, right? They walk out of this tavern and a little boy pickpockets one of them.
1: Mm-hmm. And the
3: guy sat there and he shot the kid in the back. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is... um well, that's really bad in 1879 because this is a street urchin yeah. who doesn't have any money and he's going to die in the street. Yep. And they never thought about it because in they're used to a certain type of game. Then they don't always think about things like the social outputs and the poverty and how that... Have, they don't think about how Victorian era things run.
4: So what so- I would have done in that situation is I would have immediately said, okay, you, you absolutely can do this. Bear in mind that these are the these are the consequences or the immediate oh, obvious consequences. He absolutely that you did
3: it. And then I said, okay, but now you need to think about this. Because this is what you've done. So and, and at some tables I sit there and I will say, Hey, look, before you do that, you can totally do it, but but that's what I'm talking about. This is the type of stuff that if they're used to a certain type of gameplay style and you don't know these people, so you're not sure what they're their background is in gaming. That, yeah, at that point,
1: I think I are been things said, that you think
3: about. Oh, they did, and and there was there was police, and and basically they bribed the police to go away because that's actually very much a thing too. Oh. They did, however, after that become much more conscientious of one shooting as a whole because yeah. um, they didn't like being shot at after that either because apparently that stuff's deadly.
5: Well, yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But they were used to a different type of gameplay where Mm -hmm. you can totally go hack and slash and take damage and who cares because I still have one hit point. Like, they were used to that and not thinking in other ways. And so it's not that I'm saying that the game doesn't automatically. I'm just saying that structurally, when I structure something, when I'm doing it as a game demo, I want to make sure that I'm introducing as many different aspects as i can that are cool and interesting and that doesn't mean that the game doesn't automatically lean towards it it's just that i'm purposely trying to structure it that way because i want to showcase the world the system whatever it is i'm showcasing
4: yeah i, I i'm i i still stand by my my previous comment which is sure absolutely you should but i've never been in a situation where i've tried to run a session that didn't showcase the world they might walk out of that tavern and 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 shoot the street touch, urchin but equally what you're saying happened as a follow-up showcased the world pretty nicely and got them to understand what it was what the consequences were
3: oh yeah it did it's just that i my personal approach when i'm thinking about what am i doing is instead of what i used to do when i'm just running something because i'm running it which is I have this idea, and I'm just going to go run this, is I put more thought process into shaping it versus I threw something out there and let's see what they do with it.
4: Well, perhaps, perhaps what I do is I naturally prepare the amount that you're talking about anyway.
3: Which is very probably likely. Like I said, I typically completely, other than a roundabout crazy idea, I used to just improv almost all con games. But that's, I did it for 20 years and you know, you get to a certain style and you're good with it. So this I put more process into than I used to do. Um, But timing is actually a big thing and watching your pacing. If you let them get too bogged down in something that's a kind of a minor chase scene and it takes up two hours of your four hour block or three hour block, that's not necessarily great. So, I think that there's a big. And I think that people don't always realize they get so caught up in doing the thing that they don't watch the time.
0: Yeah. And, and I, that's, you know, like I said, that's a a concern of mine. But at the same time, you know, you, uh, you don't want to arbitrarily uh, rush, you know, I mean, if, if you, if you force it, too much. It's going to feel very artificial and it's going to take away the magic, right? Um, Right. You have to find the middle
3: ground. You can't railroad, but you have to find a middle ground to tie it back to move things or even sometimes cut something. Like there was a guy and he was GMing and it's this whole chase scene and the entire story is, is that you have to get to the end and tell the guy the thing so that you save the guy from whatever, right? So you have this whole chase to get to the guy first. And they're in the sewers, and there's these baby crocodile monsters. That took over an hour of the time. It was almost two. It was an hour and a half, almost two hours. So what he probably should have done was not introduce the mama crocodile. But instead, he went ahead and introduced the mama crocodile fight scene that he had planned. Okay. And by the time we got done with that, we were still in the sewers, and the time's up. And at certain places like Gen Con, like somebody else is waiting for that table. Right. So we never got out of the sewers. So you you really have to kind of be able to go, okay, I know that what I wrote next is that then they meet the mama crocodile, but maybe that should have been skipped so that they got out of the sewers.
0: Sure. And that's where that ability to improv and and change
5: the
3: yes
0: is important.
3: You Also, also, um,
5: you have to have... Possible conclusion points along the way. Um, I think Ed was talking about it earlier that you have the uh, bullet point one hang up uh, version, you have the regular version, and then you have the version where they rocketed through it, and you still got an hour left in the session. Um. I use a three-act structure for my con demos, and each act has a definite conclusion to it. Uh, this came in real handy last year because everybody kept getting very enmeshed in the, and invested in the investigative part in trying to find the, the mole in the camp and most of them uh, did not get to the third act where they had to stop the saboteurs who were making a desperation play aboard the moving train. Uh, the second act had a satisfying conclusion to it where they they have found the spy, they have dug up the secrets uh, uh, going on in this uh work camp in this military, uh, technological camp and, um, taking them to the officer in charge, presented their case. And it, it felt like a wrap up at that point. And that third act just became unnecessary. We were able to just drop it because we were at the end of our time and it, the players never, even, some of the players never even noticed that there could have been for a, a further, uh, bit of adventure. So yeah, having a having conclusion points through your adventure, I think
4: is is think, things to allow important. you to cater for these different possibilities, basically.
5: Exactly, and this this thing that you brought up at the beginning of the topic
4: uh,
5: of uh, being prepared for these these different uh, versions of how it may play
4: through. I think I think Pex is trying to push us onto another topic. <laughs> I, I, like, it just feels that way. Pex, do you want to pick one? <laughs> I guess that's a no. Oh, let's
1: uh, see what else we have. Pre-gen um...
4: NPCs. Let's talk pre-gen NPCs. That's still related to, to convention games to a degree. Mm-hmm.
5: Okay, so are they a useful plug-in, or are they annoying, and do you have to modify them to be able to use them in your your particular
4: situation? Are those, two, I... things, are those two things mutually exclusive? I, I mean, uh, does requiring minor modification to an NPC mean that it's annoying?
5: Depends on how much prep time it takes. I mean, if you're... Mooching an NPC from a different game system, you have to do stat conversion.
4: But um, equally, what you know, like, okay, if you're mooching an NPC from a different game, then you know you're you're kind of doing it to yourself, right? Sure. Like, like, I mean, you, you can't you can't go, oh yeah, well, I picked up this thing from D anD D for World of Darkness, and I had to convert all the stats. Oh, that's so unfair. You you can't not expect that, right?
5: Right, but are are you willing to do that you know if you if you, say you have a uh, a book of fifty underworld- ca- uh characters, you know fifty criminals uh with backstory and stat block sure, but it's in a system that you don't run okay so you want to run a um you know, you're wanting to run an organized crime story in your game world, and here's this book with all these NPCs, eh, but you've got to do the work to, to bring them over to your uh, your system.
4: Well, all I can say is, um, if you are in a situation where you can't come up with NPCs, which you have to be or you wouldn't be looking for that book... um. Then you should probably be grateful that someone wrote a book of NPCs because if you're running a system, my expectation would be, and certainly my experience is, um, you know, as long as you're reasonably competent in running the system, creating the character based on a description of what the character can and can't do should be relatively doable, right? Um, mm-hmm. you, you've got the concepts sat there right in front of you with all of the information that you would need to create them. And yeah, I, I don't personally I don't think it's a massive leap to, you know, then go, oh yeah, well, I've I've got to stat them for my own for my own game. I, I, I should say I um I have actually done uh this exactly this sort of thing, even for canon npcs for for campaign modules uh where i've gone and been inspired by you know oh here's a thing from another game and here we go this is the thing and i'm just gonna grab this and then play with it and 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 restart it for my for my game but broadly that's the kind of character i'm looking for and I think I think in that case, you know, NPCs, you know, the fact that someone's gone to the effort of writing these NPCs, creating their backstory, creating, you know, which again, you'll probably have to tweak if you're picking that up, the fact that they've done that, they've done sort of 70 percent of the work for you by that stage to to go, "Oh yeah, but that's annoying, that it's not perfect for me in this game." why well, frankly, everyone's sitting in this in this chat. Um, answering questions on this show um, is a game creator. If you've not done it in your game, it's your fault, right?
3: (laughs) I'm not a game creator.
4: Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. (laughs) You are a project manager.
3: (gasps) I'm a paperwork person. i
4: Andy.
3: I know. Um, Poor Andy's over in the corner. Um, Here's the thing. mm. So as someone who has GM forever and I constantly love picking up things like I buy a lot of modules. I don't usually run modules, but I like to buy them and flip through them and and still things, like maps especially because mm-hmm. I don't draw mm-hmm. them well, and NPCs and sometimes just ideas. And sometimes I'll even go through two or three and be like I like this idea and I like that idea and I and I like this idea over here from this. And I'm just going to string those together. Yep. I've been doing this for forever and if I say how long it starts to tell you how old I am. I'm old. <laughs> um please I know. Andrew actually knows how old I am, and I'm not as old as Andrew, but I am old. So here's the thing. There is something for especially newer GMs or GMs who aren't as creative because I've met some people who only GM modules, and literally they go through them like section by section. It drives them crazy when you skip rooms and stuff like that. Sometimes people want to GM, and they're just not very creative or they are new to doing it and they haven't gotten the hang of it yet. Where some of us are coming from is a much, I've been doing this for many years and yeah, it's old hat, totally easy. I wasn't even going to look at the damn numbers. Let's just be honest. I was going to make that up anyhow. But for newer people or people who aren't creative, it's a bigger struggle to shift things at a higher level or a lower level, depending on the party or you know, things like that, or to come up with yet another NPC who isn't the sure. bar wench 87.
4: So- sure, and, and that's kind of what I'm saying, though. I mean, in those cases, you know, pre-gen NPCs and having the widest possible range of pre-gen NPCs is even more vital.
3: Yes. So I think that they're a great tool. I actually don't see much downside in them personally. Because again, I was just gonna take what I wanted and use what I wanted anyhow. And I love sometimes just flipping through them because sometimes I get crazy ideas like, I'm totally gonna make that person the center of something awful. Let's go do that now. Yeah. So I don't, but I will say that there is a thing about prep time and and there is some truth to, if you don't have the prep time, then don't pick something that takes too much work.
4: And I that's just, the entire can,
3: point of stuff but- like that.
4: But kind of my my point here is this, this is sort of a paradox in itself because if you don't have NPCs for the game that you want to play, right, and you don't have the prep time to create them, how is having an NPC from another game to do a chunk of that work... A bad thing. Uh that's that's where I'm struggling. I I'm i no, no no no,
3: I'm, I'm telling you that i do not thing. Question.
4: No no no, I I, I understand you are not sorry, Andy, I, I understand you are not saying that. I'm I'm the premise of the question seemed to be that NPCs can be a bad thing, and I'm I'm lost as to why. Um well I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say about what I want to say first,
2: then I'll comment on what you're saying there. Uh the book I just linked, I like this product personally, because I've have tons of NPC books, and these are just shortened to the point. That's literally how big they are. He just gives me their stats, what they're wearing, with physical feature, and a sentence about their personality. Love it. I endorse it. You should get it. Now, to your comment, the, the problem with the NPCs is the spotlight. Uh, they can get overshine to the NPC. I think that's a DM problem more than anything, but it can't entangle the. Table into a well. I'm bored now. He's going on a thirty minute spiel about his thirty minute backstory. I'm bored to tears, or I want to do something else. This isn't engaging me. I'm just interested. So I think in those kind of contexts, those spotlighted NPCs, even though they're needed, it's just a flow of the table kind of thing. You have to gauge, and that comes with experience. I think um, newer GMs were probably just cool. Sure doing verbatim. I think that's where the issue
4: is. Sure. I, I see what you're saying. I mean, and, and the advice that I would give to newer GMs now I've not been doing it as long as various other people around this table. Um, but, uh, the advice I would give to other GMs is don't say anything beyond what you absolutely have to say that people can see as a physical description, let it come through in the way the, the NPC acts like all of the tragic backstory, all of the, whatever, uh, in fact, fr- pretty pretty much as Pecks just linked. Where's Chainmail? Carries a carries a broadsword and a dagger. Has a shield. About five nine. Uh, brown hair and eyes. That's fine. Now let's go. Right. Um, that you know what you can see, and then and then let the rest of if if you have a pre made NPC and you love the story of it, let it come out in the way they act. And then if the if the players don't interact with the character. Problem solved. Okay, I'm sorry you like that NPC. Let him come up later. We'll let her come up later. Um, yeah.
0: I, I. Yeah, I guess I feel like uh, for me, NPCs mostly, um, I mean, the, the vast majority of the NPCs uh, at my table end up getting created sort of on the fly. Um, I do create some in advance You know, individuals that I would say, okay, well, this person's important to the story, or I think they're going to be important, and they should be there, so I should put some thought in advance, Uh, and I'll do that, and I'll make notes. Um, One of the things that I find, though, again in terms of work, is that um, when I when I run a game, um, usually the NPCs are not, uh, I don't want to say not extraordinary, but they're not uh, like player characters. Uh, player characters are are usually somewhat exceptional um, in some ways. And on the one hand, you can have an NPC and say, well, this, this guy is a captain of the guard, and maybe he's a, a, a third-level fighter or warrior or whatever archetype you have in your system. Um, I don't have... Um, You know, the the, the baker isn't a, uh, you know, level 10 wizard, you know, I I don't have to roll large stat blocks and create a lot of extra for them. Um, So it's not a lot of hassle, really, I mean, if that's the right word. Um, to just go in and create a quick, you know, like here. And then later, if I, if I find, you know, I'll, I may even make a stat block for him. But the truth is, is most of the time, the, the player characters are just interacting with these people. And they don't, it, it never even occurs to them, you know, to, to go full murder hobo,
4: you know. Well, it depends on the players, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I have the luxury of generally playing games where, if it's an npc and i need to do something i i can just sort of roll a dice and fudge it um or roll several dice and fudge it um speaking of fudge uh fate of course is a is another good example of of one of those systems where you can just pretty much make it up as you go if you've got to Um, i think to some degree it's system specific sorry
1: that no,
2: was my fault there. Uh, I, I think another thing I just thought of, and um, I saw a video not too long ago by Todd from Hexpress DMing, uh, DM NPCs where the DM is literally, it, it's the situation of well, that NPC coming along for part of the adventure, the entire adventure, and the DM has control of it. And that usually comes in the case where the DM wants to be a player as well as the DM because he got stuck in the DM role or is new. Uh, I've been guilty of this too. And what I've learned over time is if I have an NPC like that, I give it to the players to run as a secondary character. Because I think the hardest thing, at least for me about DMing, is learning to shut the hell up and let the players have the spotlight the majority of the time at the table. So I turn
3: that usual
2: role over to the players.
3: Sometimes it also happens when there's not enough players. Because on occasion, there's there's two players and what are you going to do?
5: something i've done with that uh with having a gm npc with the group um is using them as captain exposition uh and with earth dawn i was able to do that uh, very naturally within the game world the character is a traveled scholar which is one of the character classes and so this character is with the party and at any point, somebody can turn to this character and say, hey, do you know anything about this thing we just ran across? I make a die roll and, oh, yeah, I'll pull out the notebook. And, yeah, I know these things about it. And it lets me drop this stuff into the, uh, the game without having to do an out-of-character info dump. Right, <laughs> and
2: sometimes if I have them there, they're just there for combat pretty much to help the uh party out. And they don't really say much other than they get the thumbs up or thumbs down when they ask questions, kind of silly RP thing. Um mm-hmm. and
3: so one of the things also. Oh go ahead. Go ahead, Andrew.
5: Oh, I was just agreeing that I've done that also. Mm-hmm.
3: So one of the things I know is is that when I was a newer GM, I didn't handle them as well as I do now. And one of the things I found out is, is of course, you can't turn them into a, a basically over-the-top character who's always trying to dictate what's going on or even giving out too much information and leading them on the right path type of thing. So those play those characters, if you have to play one because there's not enough players at the table or whatever the deal is, they need to be the last one who talk in the plan fa- phase. They need to be the last one kind of in initiative for the most part. They need to do the couple of things that they need to do, but they don't need to outshine. Like almost make them lower level type of thing. Like they need to be the secondary thing that's there because I needed another body or a cleric or a rogue or whatever the hell I needed to flesh this out or an information bearer. Right. Actually,
4: I, I generally agree with you, but um, recently I had a, I had an experience where I, I had an experience where I did something else and it was completely by accident because they didn't have as many dice, but they were outshining through random probability chance. Um, they were, they were um, outshining one of the members of the team. And that actually resulted in the team sort of vying for this person's uh, sort of attention. Like it became sort of a, oh, yes, I I want to impress this person now because they're clearly the best person in the room, you know? And it actually, the team built on it themselves. While I was sat there going, oh, dear, I kind of screwed that one up because I just rolled really well. And I hadn't rolled rolled in private. But sometimes, sometimes it's not the end of the world. As with absolutely everything in role-playing games,
3: Here's the Nothing rule. Nothing is absolutely I hear all the
4: times that you should ignore it.
3: And 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 then we go back to the rolling in private and also the my dice are never that nice to me. And if they yeah. are, it's like once like, oh good, that was my that was my crit for the week. Good job. Okay, thanks. Like, <laughs> like whose dice are that good? My dice are never that good.
4: My my dice are terrible. It, it's it's a joke at my table.
3: Okay, I literally had a game, Pathfinder game, where I did not roll above an eight as a GM. The entire session so yeah
4: and um, i put a lot my- of dice in
3: dice jail that night like nope and i own a ton of dice and i still never got above an eight my so uh, my off.
4: system is more reminiscent of world of darkness but um uh, just to give you an idea uh i once rolled uh 31 dice in an exceptional circumstance and i got no successes and three ones on a seven threshold it was quite embarrassing <laughs>
3: I I I feel your pain.
4: <laughs> I
3: hey, 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 Mage, I saw that shit. You <laughs> shut up over there. So <laughs> I told I, you my dice are mean. They're mean dice. It it's
0: um it's a good thing I have a, a GM screen. Um because I have sometimes the opposite look. I once had a um uh, DM tell me, well, I needed a plus two weapon to hit this monster. and My character wasn't real smart, and he was really determined, but he had a plus one weapon. And I said, is there any way? Because I'm just going to keep trying. I don't know any better. And um, she said, well, okay, if you roll a natural crit, or a natural 20, and then if you can follow it up with a percentile 100, and then another percentile 100, I'll let you have it. And sure enough, I did it. so yeah and you know that was actually quite entertaining buddy you know it was just you know one of those things and everybody's just sort of staring there at the dice and and they all cheered and you know so i got my one you know while everybody else cleaned up all these monsters i got my one kill you know but uh it was it was fun
5: uh growing rpg universes through other media we are being
4: poked we are
3: well we kind of talked about this already i mean this is MeWe, this is mastodon this no, is... No no no
4: oh, no. sorry i'm going to stop you there i wasn't talking about social media. um uh this this was my question um or my my topic um what what this was really about was about things other than role playing games that grow the role playing game universes or give people a view uh. into the role playing game universes um, this is somewhat inspired by things like Critical Role's recent Kickstarter. Um, I I also, you know, I've been writing comics and creating audio dramas uh, within my universes for some time. So really, I wanted to sort of talk about other ways in which people might, you know, what, what, what people think are the pros and cons of growing an RPG universe through these ways. Uh, indeed, Andrew, those kinds of things as well.
5: Right, there's, I think a uh, a good, uh, I think a, a market for it, and I think a um, desire for it. Shadows of Estrin wouldn't be doing all this other stuff, the tarot deck and the soundtrack album and all that, if there weren't people who wanted that sort of thing and I hate to bring up the immersion word because, you know, we had that whole huge hoorah about it, uh, last time I was on. Uh, but, um, you know, if you've got the in game tarot deck and your character, um, is some sort of Oracle being able to pull that out really adds to the gameplay. Um, Andy has brought up uh, "Hey Penny Pie," which is a webcomic set in the 1879 universe, and so we have an ongoing web comic um, that is approaching its 100th strip. That's it's over at fastgames.com, where we've got a a, a story being told in this visual medium in the game universe. In or you know, again expanding the universe, telling another story in it. In, an, in a different uh, form of media. I think there's a lot of, uh, of potential there for expanding your, your, your game world. Webcomics have been done for, oh gosh, years and years uh, to, for this very purpose.
4: Mm. Uh, actually, just to quickly uh, nightmare, um, those hardcore lore people, I, I don't think it's necessarily... That um i I have actually had a conversation with a particular person who uh you know he read a, he read something and he just said, "Look, I'd really like to know some more about this. Where can I find out some more about this specific thing? um it doesn't necessarily have to be that you sort of sit there and go through a hundred a uh, hundred strips of uh halfpenny pie, um as you say um it it, it can just be hey." Um, I'm really interested in this one thing.
3: So I think we're talking about different things that tie in and can help draw people in. Web comics is a good one. I think you're talking about doing like an audio drama. Novels are good. Um, Fawcett's had a lot of success in the past with Earth, Dawn and Shadowrun novels and things like that. And I guess it can be really good for lore people, but I think it's also really good for people who just like that world and that setting. There's all sorts of things that you can tie in. There are now physical stuff with like the cards, the tarot cards and all sorts of things. Let's be honest, miniatures is another great tie-in. Some people really love their miniatures and sometimes people just buy them because they like playing with them. I mean, it's you know.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, and that's that's kind of the thing, isn't it? It it can be a case that um, you are, you know, you're, you this this thing that you're creating it has its own separate audience that isn't necessarily linked to the role playing game. It can be, but it doesn't have to be.
3: Okay, that's particularly
4: true for my comics. So
3: I have a friend who I sent. We have an Earthdawn novel that's in editing, and I sent it to a friend who's never played Earthdawn. She has gamed but never played Earthdawn. And I said, as someone who doesn't know the world, but likes reading fantasy novels, I want your opinion. I wanna know, will people who like fantasy like this novel? Thankfully, she came back with a, she was really interested and wanted to see what happened next in the series because it's a trilogy thing, right? Sure. So, but that's the type of thing that when you're setting out on that type of stuff, The entire reason I look for someone who kind of games but doesn't know this is because, let's be honest, you want that as a tie over. You want to bring someone who reads it and picks it up as a fantasy novel who goes, hey, what's this earth on stuff? Where do I find that? And brings them in. And I think most of us company wise are looking for that and ways to efficiently and cost effectively do things like that.
0: You're selling the IP, basically.
3: Branding, you yeah. know, yeah. that type of thing. Yeah.
0: Um, and and I've, it's funny because I think we've all seen that done very well and we've all seen that done very poorly where someone takes their IP or their brand and they maybe haphazardly farm it out to somebody who that's literally who's what going they to make
4: do. a role playing game for it.
0: Well, right. And it may be, <laughs> it may be pump and dump, right? It may be just like, Hey, let's create this thing and drop it out there and we'll, we'll hit a decent margin and and that's what you're going to get. So, you know, I've, 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 like I said, I've seen it both ways, right? Where people do a really good job. Um, so you're going to kind of get, I guess what you invest in that. And slightly on topic here, I just thought of it. Um, I remember a lot of managers
2: for, uh, Musical bands back in the day would get tattoos of the band they were managing. I'd like to see the same thing happen in the gaming industry. Half-joking. Oh, Nobody wants a fast yeah. tattoo or a Fragut's game tattoo.
5: I actually thought very seriously about <laughs> getting a uh, Thrall emblem uh, tattoo when Burning Desires was published and then ended up uh, realizing that I had more important things to spend 300 bucks on.
4: Actually, uh, it's funny you should mention uh, tattoos because uh, my, my, uh, my partner in crime, shall we say, uh, since the beginning of, of Shades of Vengeance, um, actually always said, in terms of every logo that we write, would you get a tattoo of it? That's, um, that's his guideline on whether it's a good logo or not.
2: I like it. I like it a lot.
4: Uh, you know that that's the first thing if the answer is no, it's not a good enough logo and we need to we need to go back and fix it
3: So There was some company. I can't remember who it was, but it wasn't a gaming company I remember that who basically was like we will give you all of this free product stuff. We will ship it to you if You get a tattoo if you get our stuff tattooed, like the first person who sends us a picture of, I have that tattoo, is going to get this stuff. And it was an interesting, I mean, crossover, tie over type of, you know, social marketing thing. Because not only did like one person win whatever the prize was, but you started to see that several other people and other people, I guess, went out and got one because they thought they might get the prize.
5: You know, they just weren't the first one in.
3: The, they were not the first one in, because apparently going out and having it done took time. But
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Uh,
5: and mean, once you started,
3: you were kind of committed with that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: kinda, but, I mean, it is. It's a thing. I actually met someone once who had a, crazily enough in my opinion, World of Warcraft tattoo.
4: Oh, I've met a few people with World of Warcraft tattoos.
3: And so you're just sitting here going, one, in some respects, that is some really ultimate fandom because uh, you're pretty stuck with that, right? And two, damn, I wish we were cool enough to have that. Like, <laughs> I <laughs> want my name to be big enough that people have it tattooed someplace, right?
2: I mean, I've seen people take like stuff out of Creature Beast Aries to have those tattoos as well. Sure. I think those are cool, but company logos, that's,
3: I've seen That's some- pushing it.
2: Yeah, yeah, they aren't as, in my perspective, they aren't as cool but whatever.
5: I don't know. Um, you know, if, uh, if the if, if there's, it's a matter of brand loyalty.
2: Like the Apple tattoo I just posted.
5: That yeah. And um, also how invested in it are you? And Andy was talking about it earlier that none of us are in this industry for buckets of money. But, um, you know, if, uh, you know, not not to to let things out, but if Fasa was paying all my uh, mortgage and grocery bills and so forth, I would sure as hell get a Fasa tattoo. <laughs> I,
3: I will bring that up at the next board of directors meeting, dear Ross. Please play all of our shit so that I can talk Andrew into getting a Fasa but, uh, tattoo. Like, not that
4: all would of be your awesome. stuff. Not all of your stuff. Just Andrew's stuff. That's it. Well, Everyone okay, else can have a paper.
3: Everybody gets a, a, an Andrew because I need Andrew to have a have a fossa tattoo because that would be the coolest shit ever. Let's do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, but where? We'll also totally go for Where's it, Where's right? the tattoo going? That's my question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we
3: get to pick. I mean, if we're branding Andrew, we get to pick.
2: <laughs>
0: Here comes the tramp stamp. Wow.
2: <laughs> Andrew, <laughs>
3: Andrew is a cool person. He would totally rock a tramp stamp, I'm saying. Oh, my gosh. He would. So- He's awesome like that
5: someplace below the neck is all i say all i request
3: tramp stamps are below your neck just so you know in case you're unaware of where that is
5: (laughs) base of the spine in the back i'm aware of that
3: okay see you would rock it i'm just saying (laughs) i don't want (laughs) to i got you i got you (laughs)
4: Are we are we done on the subject? Yes. Yes. No. That's no. We need to point. talk
3: about tramp stamps. That's. What
4: yeah.
1: <laughs> well, remember, All right. we were trying
3: to make this racy so people would be more interested. Because you know that sells. I'm just saying.
1: All we right, need to so discuss who else product. is getting
3: what tramp stamp.
2: Promotion time. <laughs> uh, there was a marching order from uh, the beginning, so I guess uh, Andrew, you're up first.
5: Okay, sure. Let me go grab the trusty links here. Uh, 1879 uh, is the steampunk successor to Earth Dawn. It takes the place of Shadowrun in the fantasy Cosmology. You know, we sold off Shadowrun yay, many years ago. And. Um, We needed something to fill it in, so we pulled the Awakening back 140 years and dropped the abrupt return of magic into the middle of the Gilded Age. Uh, There are a number of reasons why we picked 1879 as the starting year for the game world. Lots of information about uh, uh, this particular game system. There's all the links and we'll wait for them to expand on uh, the web home and so on and so forth. Our presence on Facebook and on MiWi. Um, and then there's also, I have a Patreon going, uh, The Wandering Beekeeper, where I'm developing a non-FASA project. Uh, it's a classless and levelless system with an integrated game world that's all based on the consequences of player actions. and that's being developed in public with the patrons being you, uh, being brought in as part of the development team. Basically, I do the grunt work, and the patrons uh, get to make these uh, uh, the strategic decisions. So more information there. A lot of the posts are public. Uh, the 1879 uh, blog for this uh, week just went up this morning and gives you Professor Arachne uh, first in our personalities series. So you get Dr. Phoebe Figgalily with the mechanical spiders.
1: So there's all of that.
4: Am I good? Ehe. <laughs> So, so sorry, Andrew. I just want to make sure you're done. I wasn't sure if that. was...
5: Oh, I'm sorry. I, that, that yes. Um, I, I thought I'd been. Yes, that, that's a, that's all of it.
4: Cool, cool. Sorry, just. Um. So, uh, I actually have two kickstarters running at the moment, which is, as everyone will probably know, completely against the rules, and um, they let me do it anyway. So, I don't know. um. Th- the first, is, um, the first is actually uh, a card game um, that I first released about two years ago now. Um, it's called Champion of Earth. And um, basically the idea is that uh, you are defending the Earth from the alien invasion. Uh, but the aliens have realized that they always lose whenever they try to invade the Earth. So um, they've raised the undead and brought forth creatures from the shadows uh, in order to bolster their army. And the expansion uh actually bolsters their army one step further. Um, with dinosaurs, which are human dinosaur hybrids. Um, and they use their horrific genetic recombinatron. Um it's uh it's sort of a a fairly jokey uh card game uh where you use various pieces of equipment to defeat the alien invasion, uh very much inspired by things like Plan 9 from Outer Space and other ridiculous sci-fi movies. Uh the second thing I've got going um is uh Fauna. Uh Fauna is uh the latest in my Era the Empowered comics, uh set in my uh superhero universe. Um and uh he is a shapeshifter who can turn into various animal forms. Um both of these Kickstars actually end today uh in about five hours um so if you're interested definitely worth a quick look um that is 9 p.m uh uk time uh so uh, 4, 4 p.m east coast i suppose um yeah that's uh and obviously there's uh there's uh, shadesofvengeance.com uh where you can get hold of uh, all of the games that i've mentioned including uh era the consortium uh, era the Empowered, uh, and various others. Yep, yeah, that's, that's everything from me.
3: Okay. Hey. Did you put the links up to your Kickstarters? Good, okay. Yeah, yeah. I forgot you. to yeah, scroll yeah. down. Awesome. Good, good. No, okay, do so... scroll down
4: and look at my links, everybody.
3: That's right. Do that. <laughs> don't, don't get, like, you know, lost. I do that sometimes. Okay, so my name is Andy Watson. I work for Fossa Games. You can totally find us at FossaGames.com. We have a Discord channel. We have Twitter, we have Facebook. You can email me directly and harass me. I'm pretty easy about these things. Uh, Personally, you can find me on Discord. You can find me on Twitter. And if I could get my work stuff to settle down enough, I go on Twitch and blow off steam by dying horrendously and quite often in video games, which I'm told is kind of funny to watch. That's it. That's me. I'm pretty easy. <laughs> Simple. Done.
2: All right. So if you'd like to support the podcast, or listen to right now, the breakfast club or on our Friday nights, our coast to coast, you can do so here. And I'll make you a deal. If I can get a hundred dollars a month out of this, I will take off the ads at the beginning of the podcast, but requires you to donate something. Uh, for my other company, Frog God Games, uh, we have a couple of sales going on right now. You can get the blight for 50% off of the physical product and the PDF. And we also have a 50% Pathfinder sale going on for all our Pathfinder
1: products. And those links are here. Copy, paste, work. Ta-da. So there's some sales. Go
2: enjoy the sale. Everybody loves a sale. There you go. Hard sale.
0: That's me. Okay, I guess I'm up. Um, I'm Brian. Uh, Together with my wife, Liz, we formed Lost Relic Industries. Uh, We're creating a game called Swords and Shaman of Songguard that's currently in beta, and it's available to uh, download on DriveThruRPG. Um, it's all about a prehistoric world, uh, run by, um, tribal elves and, uh, humans coming up through a bronze age, uh, societies and fighting against the, uh, the darkness and the, uh, the wilderness of all of these, uh, you know, giant, uh, megalithic, uh, fauna. So if you like, uh, hairy elephants and all that stuff, um, check us out. and, uh, yeah, you, we were talking about tattoos. Uh, yeah, help us make this successful. Uh, at the end of it, I plan to get a tattoo. Um, yeah, a uh, hairy elephant somewhere. So there you go.
2: Is it a tramp stamp?
0: Is this risque enough? Did I, did I cross the line yet?
3: No. No. Oh, okay. But is it a tramp stamp?
0: No. <laughs> well, Actually, okay. I'll have to put a lot of thought into it because I have fairly involve tattooing and i don't even know where it's gonna go um but it'll be some sort of mammoth
2: all right we're going to unmute the audience now for live q a so if you got a question please ask us if you do not want to talk you are free to type in chat and one of us will snag it and answer
1: i'm not unmuting that bad mic guy <laughs>
3: that's very true and andrew
4: honest. wow
3: <laughs> i'm i'm happy you went there Good job. somebody
5: had yeah. to say it
4: yeah somebody but... had to say it I, i'd like i'd like to point out that that das machine did actually veto that before. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
3: you know i am not surprised that pex also thought of this i will say i did not but i should have and i'm sad that i didn't
4: i didn't put <laughs> that much salt into it i'll be honest
3: you that's really crazy. ought to you need this level of thought
4: no no I, I don't need this level of thought I have many yes. other things that are no. more important
3: no nothing <laughs> is more important than this this are is the new standard home? of importance.
0: I'm just going to say man that's that that seems painful <laughs> well we're not getting it you are
3: that's true are I you want willing to, do a to guy suffer who... for your art yeah uh,
0: I think I want we crossed to... the line finally
3: no, see, I've got the white crosses line. I knew a guy who wanted to put the Superman shield on the tip of. That crossed the line. Ah. See? Oh, that just Ooh. sounds painful. It does sound really painful, and I think he's always chickened out, but he keeps talking about it, which is pathetic and funny. Tell
2: him to man up or shut up.
3: Exactly. <sighs> By the way, mm. I don't think that's a great idea to do. I'm just gonna
0: no, <laughs>
2: really to Do not do that.
3: Really want to hurt. Feeling, really sure. a hurt feeling, just tell that nobody would be able to see it anyway.
5: Yeah, you know, I'm. I, I, I'm not sure but, I'd want to work with a tattoo artist that would be willing to do that to begin with. <laughs> you know. I will
3: say that this particular person, no people would have seen it. He would have been very happy to take that out and show it to people.
0: Oh, dear. Wow. Oh, yeah. oh no. I've met those people at bars. They have to, show you, <laughs> and they show you their piercings. Hey, have you seen my piercing? No, boom, drop pants. You are like, ah, uh, no, no. I
3: had a guy do that to me once, like forever and ever ago when I was in college. Yeah,
1: I had He's a guy like, do that to me. You want to see my do. new
3: piercing? And I am like, yeah, what would you have pierced? And he just there it was,
2: drop trail. <laughs> yeah, just
3: whipped it out right, and you are like, okay, not what I expected, and. I guess I'm happy for you. Like, what else do you say to that?
0: Right. It's a thing for guys who do that. Cause I, I'm a guy and I've had that happen. So I, it's just a thing. Wait, when, they, when they get that, they, they, they will drop their pants whenever and whenever.
5: Just
3: they, they have to show people this and yep. it's important to them.
0: So you realize yeah. now that we've horrified everyone.
5: <laughs> well, we have finally reached that, that tipping point that we've been, I think talking about the whole podcast of, uh, you know, where, you know, how risqué do we get here?
0: That was this an interesting was choice of words, Andrew.
4: <laughs> yeah. Interesting use of we. I, mean, yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, I take all the blame.
3: So I take all the blame. It's all right. It's Andy's fault. Damn that person. We all hate Andy and her one hit point, mage. Just saying.
4: <laughs> yes, please. Someone ask a questions. Save us all.
1: <laughs>
5: oh, you. oh lordy feeling that um you know we can't have dead air on a podcast not not, no. not a good
4: thing yeah you know I mean? but so. like still better than what we were talking about a minute ago so no
3: see yeah, no, I, I can no, do no. things no, like so. ask
4: dead, dead air.
3: andrew more about his uh, patreon and how that's going
1: that's a good one how is that going
5: well right now it's just kind of not um the participation level from the patrons is not quite what i had hoped it would be um i mean people have got, got some people who have bought into it and i've Put out polls for, uh, for the, you know, wh- which way the dice mechanic ought to go and sought uh, critique on ideas of how the game world uh, could be built out and so forth. And I'm just not getting any feedback. I'd, I really expected people to be a little more invested in something that they were paying money for.
4: I, uh, we, we actually spoke about this in some detail last time, didn't we, Andrew, Last time we, last time I was around? Um,
5: right we did and and, the situation hasn't gotten any better yeah
4: I I mean I'll be honest I'm not at all surprised Um, I've experienced the same thing I expected people to be a lot more engaged in my Patreon Um, but the reality is they're supporting you to help you not so much they're supporting you to participate in what it is that you're trying to do and I think that that has an effect on what you, what you actually get from people.
2: I mean, look at our Discord here. A couple thousand people. All the chat should be lighting up like Christmas trees. But it's usually only when we run an activity that they engage.
4: Yeah, people are funny that way. Um, I mean, I, mean I, I have made, in recent months, I've made a concerted effort Whenever I'm on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, if I'm going to like something or retweet it or whichever, I actually write a reply to it as well. Because I find that you know, it, it hitting hitting like, hitting retweet, hitting share is easy. Um, and I think that a lot of people sort of just stop at that because. Actually, typing something is a lot more effort, and I think that that's sad. I, you know, I, you know, I, I obviously post stuff on social media. Um, I'd, I'd like to see people do more than like. You know, two hundred likes is one thing. Fifty comments is something totally different.
5: Absolutely, you know th- that sort of engagement. It, it, to some extent, I think it depends on the platform. Um. I don't get comments on Facebook. I get crickets. Um, but uh, when I put stuff up on Mastodon, I get people immediately coming back saying, "Hey, interesting," but have you thought about or you know this could be going in this direction or whatever. It, I think it's partly dependent upon the audience. In, well, and also
4: Facebook uh, and actually getting things into. Uh, into people's news feeds so they actually see them. Facebook is obviously inherently difficult. Oh,
5: the algorithms. Please don't let me get started on the bloody algorithms.
4: No, I wasn't going to, but I, I was I'm just the... making the point.
5: One of the things that I like about the Fediverse is that it is algorithm-free. You get the fee- feed that you sign up for. If you say you want to follow a person, you get every last thing that person puts out.
4: Isn't that true on Twitter as well? Really don't know. Twitter Yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but but I sort of... Um, Twitter's kind of weird. I sort of assumed it was. Um... Do we have any questions? No, they hate us. Yeah. I, I I've gathered... <laughs>
3: It's just quiet today. Easter
4: well, it Sunday. is. It is Easter Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's that. It is. Yeah.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yes.
5: I holidays.
3: We discussed the vampire, lich, um, zombie, and everything.
4: Yeah. And then I had uh, to explain
3: you, that because I'm a bad. You, person. you might
4: not. You might not keep track of other people's holidays, but they are your audience, so you. Probably want To know.
5: Just well, saying.
1: Some in all are fairness,
5: you know. in all fairness I do keep track of some holidays. Uh, I live in New York, so I keep track of the Jewish holidays. Uh, for the past four years I've worked for India based IT companies, so I'm very familiar with India's holiday calendar.
1: Hmm.
5: So, yeah, you know, it's a matter of what impacts my life directly. Um, you've only got I've only got so many cycles. Right now, I'm busy trying to learn two different backup
4: systems uh,
5: that are, uh, for uh, cloud-based backup. So...
4: Ah, here's one for you. Uh, maybe you guys have a suggestion. Um, I'm looking to, use, uh, to, to move to using another document version control system, preferably one with a GUI so people who aren't programmer-oriented can actually use it. Does anyone have any suggestions? For your company or for your user base? Uh, no, for my, for my company, for, for, my, yeah, for the books I'm writing.
5: And I'm sorry, what was the question again? You're looking for a GUI f- for what?
4: Uh, no, no, no. I'm looking for a document version control program that has a GUI. Uh, I've been using Git, but um, the chances of sort of my, my layout guy or, or various other people uh, who I'm working with who need to be able to access it using, right. using Git and using it properly and getting it right is zilch.
5: We use Box at FASA, and I strongly recommend Box. Box gives you a very familiar uh, folder and document uh, GUI. Um, each uh, file has its version number uh, next mm-hmm. to the file name. Uh, do a, putting up a new version, you you find the file, you click the triple dot menu, and you hit upload new version. Presto, you've got a new version. Um, if at any point you need to roll back to a previous version, you simply need admin privileges. Um, on the instance you go into a, you, uh, click for a menu and you get a full spread of all the versions of the file and you pick which one you're going to make primary. Boom. Done. Okay. I'll have a look at the cost. Yeah. The cost is fairly low, uh, for the pro version. uh, We're, they basically charge you according to how much space you're using. So if your space consumption is not all that much, you're not going to pay much for it. If you've got a Windows system or a Mac system, they have desktop integration. If you're on a Linux box, yeah, they don't really want to know you.
0: (laughs) So I have a question about that because, you know, we're talking about using something like Git, which is, you know, obviously, you know more originally designed for code repositories and things like that um, where you have this concept of uh, merge and mm-hmm. um, you can spot diffs between um, you know the files that you're merging um, you can increment versions and things like that
4: uh, uh, with with text files, that's only true if you have a uh, uh, if you can read binary.
0: Okay, so I was going to say, did, does Box have something similar to that, or are you basically just uploading a whole new file?
5: Yeah, Box does is not based on the Git uh, ar- architecture. It's it's meant for whole file uh, replacement, uh, okay. not for, not for merges. It's, so it's, it's not, file version it's not control as opposed to yeah, merging. Yeah. Right. It's not a code base uh system. It's 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 for file control. Yeah. Um, it's really, really cool. useful. I'm sorry?
0: I was gonna say it'd be really cool if there was something that allowed us, you know, to, to easily do that while you're merging up, right? Like there are the, the,
4: things. There are actually things that do it. A quick quick Google will will in fact, you know what, message me later and I'll send you a, a list of uh ten that I found. Um, oh, cool. Uh but it does depend very much on what program you're using. Like if you use InDesign forget it. Yeah, that that's us. <laughs> yep, that's that's pretty much where I sit as well and that's why I've kind of not gone with any of those particularly as um instant you know I I want to do this. Um Yeah. All
2: right, Craig, it's time for you to leave. Join us next week for another exciting Breakfast Club. Bye, Craig.